Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got a fantastic hour planned for you because, as you know, it's 5 o'clock Central Time, and on Wednesdays at 5 o'clock, we talk about a character from the Old Testament co-hosted by my friend, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Peter, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Looking forward uh, especially to this hour because not only are we going to talk about Abraham, who I love, but we're going to do it with uh, Dr. Randy Newman, also one of our very favorites. Yeah, we've had so much fun talking with Randy about so many different topics over the last uh, couple of years, and he's joined us on these series a few different times. So to get into Abraham uh, from this perspective, I think is going to just be really interesting. There's so much to cover, so I'm curious where we'll all go with it. Well, God says to Abraham, uh, I'm going to send you out, and Abraham says, where? God says, well, I'll tell you later, just go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure which version of the text that is, but that that does seem to sum it up, doesn't it? I love that. It does, and then, you know, later God says, I'll give you land, and Abraham goes, where? And God says, yeah, I'll tell you later, just wander. (laughs) I just love his attitude. I I do too, but it really does set the foundation for what life in God's kingdom is meant to be, which is when when the future is forever unknown to us, no matter what's in our calendars, we really don't know what's going to happen the next day. The only way to really walk towards that future in peace is to have that kind of attitude. And it doesn't mean the future is going to be easy. It just means that the shepherd's with us the whole way. And I think we see that in the life of Abraham. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm so glad to have um, Dr. Randy Newman back. Um, He is a uh, senior Teaching Fellow for Apologetics and Evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. area. And, of course, he's taught at several uh, evangelical institutions and has been um, part of Campus Crusade for Christ for over 30 years. So always great to have Randy on the show. Always uh, find him insightful. And I still remember, Peter, many things Randy has said over the years regarding our previous series when we talked about salvation and prayer. And so I'm looking for another uh, memorable hour with Randy. So I we should probably yeah. just... Bring them on, right? Sounds good. All right. Randy, welcome. <laughs> well, thanks. It's great to be with you. I'm, I'm feeling the pressure, though. You said this has to be another uh, excellent uh, uh, episode. I, I hope I don't blow it. I hope you don't. I hope you don't either, because, uh, you know, <laughs> we uh, we want to keep this series going. And, you know, it's we're early into the series. Maybe we're six people in from the Old Testament, six characters, six people, and and uh, we're talking to you about Abraham, and, and we can hardly wait. Okay, I'm ready to dive in. Yeah. So Peter was questioning my theology about some of the things I said about Abraham, but, you know, <laughs> God says, I'll give you a child. Abraham's going, how? And God says, well, I'll tell you later. Just wait. Seems like Abraham did, had to do a lot of waiting. Well, yeah, he sure did. And um, I, I think the thing that always strikes me um, uh, well, he didn't. He didn't always handle things well. In fact, sometimes he he handled things really, really poorly. And so the thing that strikes me is just how gracious and kind God continued to be to Abraham. I mean, there were definitely times when he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, as we're told in the New Testament and in uh, in, in Genesis. But then there's times when he 
didn't believe God and um, things went really badly. Um, but again, but God did not drop his end of the bargain. So, uh, Randy, with that part, I'm assuming you're alluding at least to one of the events in his life when he was given the promise and, and Sarah was given the promise of this child through whom many nations would come and be a blessing, that they decided after a while to take matters into their own hands and uh, and uh, enter into this relationship with Hagar and Ishmael is birthed. And boy, oh boy, there, there really was quite the mess there. <laughs> well, um, yes, exactly. And uh, I, I think what what um, I, I has been pointed out to me is you see God make a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 and that God is going to bless him and that God is going to make his descendants great. And then the next thing, pretty soon after that, um, Abraham doesn't really believe that God's on his side and, and he lies and says that his wife is his sister, and that gets into all sorts of problems. Um, and, but then, you know, God bails him out, and then God repeats the, um, uh, the covenant, and he doesn't really believe it. And so he has this child with Hagar instead of his wife. And uh, then God repeats the, the uh, covenant, and then he lies again and says his wife is his sister. I may be getting some of the chronology wrong, but... It's like this sequence of repeat the covenant, fail, repeat the covenant, fail, repeat the covenant, fail. And then finally, in Genesis 22, God repeats the covenant and then calls Abraham to the greatest step of faith of offering up his son. And this time, Abraham gets it right. And, and, and we're tipped off that that's what's going on because the very beginning of chapter 22, it says sometime later, God tested Abraham. It was like, well, let's see if he if he finally got this lesson. And he finally does get it right after a series of failures. And not to jump too far ahead, but I find this tremendously encouraging for me because I don't I don't always believe God and I and I, I doubt him and I try to take matters into my own hands and I'd rather not talk about that, especially uh, with people listening. So let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's but Bill. You and I never doubt God, right? I mean, Randy's no, alone in no. that whole deal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, then this is going to be a really bad interview. But <laughs> let, I don't know. Let, let, let me know how it goes. Uh, see. So now I yeah, go ahead, Bill. Well, I'm just thinking of the the promises that I see God having made to Abraham: the promise of his land, uh, the promise to be made into a great nation, and the promise of blessing. Um, and Abraham was, uh, it, my f- understanding of Abraham was that he obeyed God, yet had his struggles. And I thought, well, this kind of fits into the narrative of most people I know, including me. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, maybe I'm overstating it. I, I, I do have this fear that sometimes people read um, the Old Testament, and and what they come away with is, oh, I should be more like fill in the blank. I should be more like Abraham. I should be more like Joseph. I should be more like and and certainly there are those lessons for us to learn. But the larger picture is, oh, these guys blew it terribly, and God remained gracious and faithful and forgiving of them. So. Um, we, we should walk away from all of these stories far more enamored and amazed 
at God's grace than on the strength of Abraham's character. Because, because, yes, Abraham finally does come through, but, I mean, it's such a checkered past that, you know, if, if, um, if somebody said, you know, my goal in life is to be like Abraham, I thought, have you talked to your wife about this? <laughs> so she's not going to be happy about no. dying and, uh, you know, having a child with some other woman. And um, so uh, that's all I, I'm, I'm trying to protect us against the, oh, let's be like Abraham uh, approach to reading the Old Testament, which would be wrong. Yeah. Um, I think of Abraham's uh, faith, and I think of in that culture, when you were childless, that was more than just a bummer. That was kind of a a real source of shame, wasn't it? Oh, a a source of shame and and a a source of of disaster, because your children took care of you in your old age. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, they didn't have uh, social security or, you know, government taking care. Uh, you, you were dependent on your children for those kind of things. So, so yes, it was a tremendous source of shame and uh, real threat and insecurity. Yeah. So going back for a second, too, to uh, Abraham's failures, would you say, um, Randy, that we should maybe not aspire to be like biblical characters then? Or should we? Or do we understand our our lives through their lenses in some different kinds of ways? I just I think we named all of our children um, after a biblical character of some type. But how do we understand our relation to them in terms of what we can learn? Well, sure. Uh, and, and, and to some extent, we must. Um, and again, we have uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you know, celebrating the faith displays of these people. So I don't I, that uh, they're not all bad, but they're not all good either. Uh, so it's um, uh, to see their lives under that larger, beautiful umbrella of the grace of God. Um, I, I, in fact, so so the fact that God calls himself a number of places in Revelation, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We should just step back from that and say, what an amazing God. What an amazingly gracious and forgiving God. He chooses to identify himself with three people who displayed tremendous lack of faith over and over again. I mean, Jacob. I don't know. Do you have anybody signed up yet to to talk about Jacob? Because the guy was a schemer from before he was born. And and all the way into his old age, he's, he's just always kind of like, I don't know, I better, I, I, I got to kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, take this, this would probably be a good part to edit right now. I thought, <laughs> here, blah, 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 blah. Jake just kept scheming and deceiving. So, so the fact that God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is just this marvelous display of his grace and that he... Uh, is working in and through people who are not worthy of it and not deserving of it and yet receive God's blessing anyway. Um, So that's all. I'm I'm, I'm trying to, uh, again, I might be overstating things. I just, um, I've I've heard some messages where the entire message was be like Abraham. Look at all of Except, look, he did this, he did this, he did this. Now, go and do likewise. Oh. And I think that's not true to the Old Testament, and it's certainly not true to the whole of Scripture that looks at God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and the gospel. Randy, I'm getting excited about talking more about the extraordinarily gracious and goodness that God showed Abraham. 
uh, throughout his life. Good. Okay. Well, then, then, <laughs> then, then, then I think this is going okay. I think it is going okay, and this is where I know I think you are uh, going to teach us and, and talk to us more about that because, again, when we focus on someone like Abraham, we, we find, I find myself taking more time studying Abraham than I do the goodness and graciousness of God. So this is going to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to be very happy to hear more about that. Well, um, here, so let me, let me uh, dive in again. Um, uh, so there, there's, there's, um, uh, there's great blessing, I think, in, uh, I, I know this is going to sound so ridiculously obvious, I think your, your listeners are going to be rolling their eyeballs when I say, you know, it's really good to read the Bible, um, there, isn't that a brilliant thought? Um, it, <laughs> yeah. um, it's really good to read the whole Bible and get large, big pictures and, and reading the whole book of Genesis. And um, because now there, there are times that we also have to dig down deep and look at individual verses and individual words. So I, I remember hearing some one speaker once say that uh, good Bible study has to include both uh, water skiing and scuba diving. Mm-hmm. And so the water skiing is going across the large, vast, you know, the whole book of Genesis, the whole Pentateuch, the whole Old Testament, the whole book of Isaiah. But then there's also times to go scuba diving down to the very minutest, here's what this word means. And I, I guess I try to push more in the water skiing direction because I, I think that there, there isn't enough of that. I, I, I want to encourage Christians to do more of that kind of reading. So if I can, just to give you a, a flavor. So this whole narrative about of Abraham, it starts in Genesis 12, but the very right before that, the chapter before that, Genesis 11, you have the story of the Tower of Babel. And there's this theme that is repeated a number of times in that short little account of the Tower of Babel where they say, um, uh, come, let us make a name for ourselves. That's what they say. Let us, let us make a name for ourselves. And they, they don't. Well, well they, they make a really bad name for themselves, and God scatters them. And then you come to chapter 12, and God says, I will make your name great. And so that play of the two statements about the name is very, very important. These weren't just two narratives that were slapped together. Um, Here's a group of people who want to make a name for themselves, and they fail. Here's Abraham, and God says, I'm going to make your name great. And so that's just like this snapshot of how we live our lives. Do we make our name great or do we allow God to work graciously through us? Well, Randy, that's such an important point. I want to take a little break because we need to, but when we come back, I'd like to continue that uh, discussion. Dr. Randy Newman is our guest as we talk about Abraham from the Old Testament. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so glad to be doing this series, which we hope will continue for a long time. We'll take a short break and be right back.
I always play my bumper music for Randy Newman a little bit longer than I do other guests because I know he likes it. He's the Senior Teaching Fellow for Apologetics and Evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute in the D.C. area. And he's our guest today with uh, our study of Abraham from the Old Testament. Um, Randy, I love what you said right before we went to break about uh, that God would make your name great. Uh, that was a great comment, and I want to hear more. Well, uh, again, uh, you catch these things when you when you read um, when, when you try to see the flow of a book of the Bible, flow of the book of Genesis, and it, you could read um, uh, the end of chapter eleven of Genesis and the beginning of chapter twelve as two very separate parts of the book, and in some ways they are. I mean, what chapters one through eleven have a very different feel than twelve and afterwards. But they're not, they're not just randomly slapped together. And the more you read the Old Testament and the more you sit under good teaching and maybe read some, some commentaries, uh, people start pointing out that the, the Hebrew language lends itself very nicely to plays on words, puns. And um, not just the Hebrew language, but since the, the, the scriptures were delivered with the idea that the original audience was going to hear them um, before they actually read them with their eyes. They would hear them with their ears. And so there would be like words that sort of pop out that you hear. And so here's this story in Genesis 11 about people trying to make a name for themselves, um, and they don't. And then you hear Genesis 12 of Abraham, God saying, I will make your name great. Um, in between, by the way, uh, the 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 kind of the, the bulk of chapter 11, is this whole list of names. <laughs> I don't think that's by mistake. And I, I, I hope I'm not getting too uh, nerdy on you, but um, it, it says right before Genesis 12 that it says this is the account of Shem, and Shem's name is a play on the Hebrew word for name. His name means name. So, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't think that's just a coincidence. Here, this group of people will make a name great for ourselves. No, here's some name in the, <laughs> under the line of a guy whose name is name. Name, 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 name. <laughs> then, Abram, I will make your name great. And so it's just this, it's this um, picture or snapshot or flavor of the way God wants to work in all of history. We, we can try to save ourselves, make ourselves righteous, do things to earn God's favor, or we can allow God to be our Savior and our Lord and for him to work in us. And um, that's that's, that's the flavor of the gospel that the whole Old Testament is setting us up um, so that when we meet Jesus in the scriptures, we go, oh, this fits perfectly with this pattern that I've seen hundreds of times. Randy, I've heard it said that in the Lord's Prayer, then later as this theme uh, of name plays itself out through the text, that when we when we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, hallowed be your name, there's in some sense in which we are doing what you just described, or we're not doing the Tower of Babel thing. We're talking about magnifying the name of the Lord as just even our very posture in our prayer life. Yes, exactly. Right, right. And, um, and, and, and I do think... Um, that's that's worth meditating on. What what are we praying when we say "Hallowed be Thy name"? Uh, it's not it's not just that people would not take the Lord's name in vain. Certainly that, um, but it's that there would be an honoring of 
he is the one with the name above all names. And we want to live our lives with with moment by moment realization of that, um, that everything I would do or think or say would bring bring glory to the name of the Lord. Um, so again, that's that's what um, uh, I want to see in this story of of Abraham, not just the details of how he lived his life. Randy, when I study Abraham's life, I. Uh, one of the things that I can identify with is when Abraham sort of decides to take matters into his own hands. Uh, and I think, boy, I've done that before. Not mm-hmm. very not very smart, but uh, I've done it before. And it's really uh, a time where Abraham had a lapse of faith. Right. And, and um, I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm, I'm countering everything you say. I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to, but um so, so there is there is obedience on our part. There are things to do. Uh, I mean, he did have to go take his son Isaac to that place, and it was a it was a, a journey, and it required him to bring things. And so, so the Christian life, a life of obedience, it's not passive. It's not oh, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing and allow God to work in me. Uh, there is obedience. But, but there's a kind of obedience that is a response to the work that God is doing in us. I, I don't know if I'm expressing it that, as well as I'd like. But um, so, so, you know, on one hand, there's the sin of I'm going to make my name great. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to be the captain of my ship. Uh, and then on the other hand is much more of a, well, no, I'm just I'm, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, uh, let God work in me, and uh, unless he gives me writing in the sky, I'm not budging. I'm, I'm overstating it for effect, but so, um, so it, 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 it's, it's something different than either of those two extremes. Mm-hmm. Dr. Randy Newman is our guest. We're continuing our Old Testament study. We're talking about Abraham today, and if you uh, hear anything you want some clarification on, you can always send me an email, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll always do our best to answer any questions you might have. But we are going to take a short break and we come back. I know um, Dr. Randy Newman is going to still be on the line, uh, we're hoping. And if he is, I know Peter's got a question for him. So he's going to be on the hot seat the minute we come back. We'll take a short break. (laughs) We'll take a short break and be right back.
All right, we're back talking about the Old Testament and Abraham, and we're so glad to have Dr. Randy Newman as our special guest. And Randy's been on our Salvation Series, our Prayer Series. He's just uh, one of our favorites. He's a senior teaching fellow for apologetics and evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute. He's also been with Campus Crusade for Christ for over 30 years. Always glad to have him on. Peter, I think you got a question for Randy. I mean, that was the suspense that was building right before the break. (laughs) Let's bring it on now. Well, I think uh, given what we were talking about, about uh, Bill, you said taking matters into our own hands, and and we do that uh, so often, I think, as we maybe don't trust in in God's timing on things. But Randy, I'm curious your thoughts on what happened after Abraham and and Sarah did that with the Hagar and Ishmael situation, that there is this little aside in the biblical text that God does go after Hagar and does take care of Hagar and Ishmael. And is is there anything we can learn theologically from that, that even though they made this horrendous mistake right within the promises of God, that God still went after some of the outcome of it in some way to maybe redeem it? I don't know. What, what would you see in that story? Mm. <clears throat> well, um, uh, yeah, I, well, I don't know if I, if I see a whole lot more than what you've just said, which is pretty amazing. Um, uh Yes, it, it was wrong for them to uh, do what they did, and yet God goes after them. And um, even, uh, it's really beautiful and, and even almost, uh, I mean, very emotional about the way um, Hagar, well, I mean, she's treated horribly and she's cast out, and she's so despairing, she thinks her her son is going to die um, because they've they've run out of water, they've run out of food. I mean, my goodness, they were basically given a, a death sentence, and yet uh, we're told that God hears her, and that's that's what the name Ishmael means: God hears or God listens. So it's it's um, tremendously um, I don't know powerful that God meets us. Even, even in the, the very, very darkest and most uh, dire of situations. Um, and God does bless Ishmael, um, not the same way he blesses the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he does bless them. I mean, he says that clearly. So uh, there is something, I, you know, I, <laughs> we're always a little nervous, like, oh, then I can do whatever I want, and God will bless me. <laughs> so, no, there's still plenty of consequences that are problems. Um, but it, but it is reassuring of no matter how terribly I may sin, uh, God's great is God's grace is still greater than that. That that's that's a powerful message. Randy, I would I would love for you to uh, comment too on Abraham as just really a um, living example, I guess, as the justification by faith alone, because it said Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Um, it's really one of the more powerful passages on the life of uh, Abram that I can think of. Right, right, yeah, um, that's right. It's 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 a it's a perfect uh, tiny snapshot of justification by faith. Mm-hmm. It's believing that God is accomplishing something, and I'm trusting in that accomplishment, and therefore I am then declared righteous. Um, I, I do hear quite often, and well, I, I think I, I, I certainly believe this for a long time before becoming a Christian, 
that uh, people think, oh, the Old Testament, you have to earn God's favor. In the New Testament, it's granted by grace. I, I don't think that's right. I think it, it's grace all the way through. Um, and And so Abraham chose to believe what God had said, and then he was declared to be righteous. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not finding other ways of wording it, but it's, it's, uh, it's this statement of God declaring righteous, God justifying, God doing what needs to be done so that justification is accomplished. And uh, we do see it in Abraham's life, and we see it so many places in the scriptures, so that then when it's revealed in the fullest expression, in the most blatant, not just God saying something and somebody believing, but God uh, sending his son to die as an atoning sacrifice, um, that's, that's the fullest display of it, the, the, the biggest, most, uh, most effective display of that kind of grace. And Randy, what would be some of the implications of this in terms of our understanding of salvation, in terms of our understanding of, of living free from the power of sin and death, all of that in the Old Testament? Because so much of our righteousness language is maybe even from the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and I dare not trust the, the lines of the song that are so meaningful theologically to us, and yet Abraham didn't have Jesus to trust in for some sense of righteousness. So how do we understand righteousness in the Old Testament in light of that? Yeah, see, now you, you guys needed to have sent me these questions beforehand. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm scrambling. You know, you, um, you just need Peter's questions in advance, not mine. Um, uh, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you have to take another music break now? No, we probably right around now? Yeah. No, I'm um, glad you have to answer this one, Randy. I get it all the time, and I don't know what to say. So <laughs> I don't think we're alone. Yeah, it's a tough one. All right. Well, so so let me first try to make sure I'm, I'm understanding the question. So if if the picture we see in Abraham is he believed God, and God credited him as righteousness. So um, you're saying now, uh, for us as New Testament believers, what, what are the implications for us? Is that right? Is that, am I getting I Right. I think, yeah, I think so. Like we, we tend to think that I don't have any righteousness in and of myself, nor am I capable of doing anything that would cause righteousness. It only comes through Jesus. And yet in that famous phrase we're referencing, it says that Abraham believed in the promises of God and somehow that belief was credited to him as righteousness. I just, I don't know how that squares with sometimes how we think about righteousness from that New Testament standpoint. Right. Well, um, the, my first thought is, we're not really given much more than that in just the Abraham narrative in Genesis. So I have to look at the larger context, and I have to look at the book of Romans, and I have to look at the book of Ephesians, where it where it's spelled out with, okay, so now here's how you live this out. And it's believing, it's meditating on, it's taking every thought captive, it's putting to death uh, desires that are sinful. I mean, you know, that's the the New Testament, especially the epistles, spell out for us more of okay. So how do how do I do this? How do I live this out? Um, so again, I, I I don't know whether we're given enough data in just the the, the Abraham narrative, but uh, for me, I you know I just some of those things I just mentioned, there, there, are, there are some sinful desires that I need to kill, I need to say no to. 
there are sinful thoughts that I need to take captive and look at them and go, wait a minute, no, no, my mind should not be dwelling on this. My mind should be dwelling on the list of things in Philippians 4, for example, things that are true, honorable, right. Um, I need to examine the words that come out of my mouth and say, wait a minute, I, I shouldn't say that. And and my tongue is a, uh, a rudder on a ship, and it's going to take me in some bad, destructive directions or in some beautiful, blessing directions. So, so again, I, I, I read the Old Testament stories, and then I look to the later revelation in the epistles for, okay, now how do I, how do I live this out? Hmm. Randy, when I... Uh look at the passage out of James chapter 2. In verse 21, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Was James trying to use that illustration of what happened there as works? Oh, man. See, (laughs) that's worse than my question. (laughs) It is kind of worse than your question. I love that question. (laughs) Man, you love that question. Well, why don't you two just like discuss it and I'll listen <laughs> um, Well, um, I don't think I can say anything brilliant that hasn't already been stated. James and Paul are not in contradiction. Um, uh, we believe by faith and are justified, but then we live out our faith. And so Abraham in Genesis 15, believe God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then in 22, he lives out that righteousness by being obedient. And so the, the, the being willing to lift up or to offer up Isaac um, is a display of the faith that was credited to him a few chapters before. So, here, I, I have to resort to cliches, but they're good cliches. Um, and I think it may have been Martin Luther who said, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. Oh, I love that. And James is saying that the fact that Abraham then did obey is evidence of the justification that had been taking place in him, not the cause of the justification. But you need you need to have other guests on for these kinds of questions. <laughs> I can give you a list of Old Testament and New Testament scholars, um, and and I would I would listen in to hear how they would say it. Probably say it better. Yeah, I, I have heard that when if we think about belief in terms of what I surrender to and what I trust in and what I yield my life to, that then that just sort of naturally results in actions associated with it. And so it does seem like rather than talking about some sort of theological belief Abraham had, that he simply did lean into God's promise, that he that he trusted even when it was unclear in his life. And, and you've said it well, he failed a number of times too. But he also did continue to follow into the unknown, sort of setting down a framework for a future people to keep following in the unknown. I mean, maybe that's some of what's going on in that belief piece that then caused the actions, as, as Luther talked about. Um, so now I would like to do what—, what um, uh, uh, politicians do when they're asked a question, they, they they answer the question that they want to answer, not the not the one that they're asked. So um, I'm I'm looking at the clock and thinking I I better get this in soon um, uh, because I want to say it um, and I can't quite figure out how to tie it to one of your questions. Here goes. So it does seem to me that when we read this narrative in Genesis 22 with Abraham offering up Isaac, I mean. 
it is a bizarre story. And I think it's supposed to strike us as bizarre or, or shocking or, or horrifying. And um, the, the, the drama is written, the narrative is written in a way so that the, the, the action slows down, like to build up the tension. I just think it's interesting where, um, you know, it's, um, he saddles his donkey, um, they start moving, the boy says, we have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? I mean, it's like, it's like the drama is being slowed down so that it gets to a fever pitch, um, at the point where Abraham is about to kill his son. And, but, but you read the story, and, and one of the first thoughts is, this is really bizarre. The other thing is, you get the idea, I, I think something bigger is going on here. I, I think this is, I mean, just the story by itself seems really strange, but there's this bigger drama going on. And, of course, everybody wants to know, well, did Abraham know there was a bigger drama going on? I don't know. I don't, I don't think we're told. But... I mean, we're not told about what Abraham understood, but, but the writer of Genesis here, and I think it's Moses pulling, pulling all this together, uh, at, at the end of this story, it says, um, uh, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And then um, a few verses later, it says, even to this day, that place is called the Lord will provide. And I'm struck with the future tense. The Lord will provide. I would think the place should have been called the Lord did provide. Mm -hmm. um, the Lord provided. But no, this whole story is still pointing to the future of a greater fulfillment or a greater uh, conclusion to the story. And uh, I think that's part of what we're supposed to get from this story. It's, it's a bizarre story of a father offering up a son and yet there's a, a substitute, a, 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 a one who takes the place of one so that somebody doesn't have to die. And that reminds me of this bigger story that I hear about more when I keep reading my Bible. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that really ties into your question, but I, I couldn't answer your question, so I decided oh. to answer the one I wanted to answer. It, it's spectacular, Randy. It'll take <laughs> no, a little break. Spectacular. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Randy Newman is our guest. We're continuing our uh, Old Testament study. Abraham today is our subject. We'll be right back after a short break. back with our Old Testament series. Our special guest tonight is Dr. Randy Newman. We're talking about Abraham. If you uh, missed any of this, you're going to definitely want to go to the uh, podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. What Randy said right before the break was absolutely brilliant. Rosie and I were just shaking our heads going, that was so good. So, Randy, we're so glad you decided to interject exactly what you said when you said it. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. Well, that, that um, you may be encouraging me to go in other directions. We'll <laughs> yeah, I'm looking um, at what Jesus says in Luke, where he says that any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And I can't think of 
anything more uh, renouncing than uh, Abraham willing to sacrifice his son. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, um, I, I don't know if I've shared this uh, on our, our other times or whatever, but, but uh, my story of coming to faith comes out of a Jewish background. I grew up in uh, uh, suburbs of New York, and we belong. Our family belonged to a conservative synagogue. And every year, uh, I would go to synagogue on the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. Um, and this story of Abraham offering up Isaac is the story that is always preached on every year, Rosh Hashanah. You know, there's this calendar of reading through the. The, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books. And so this is the passage that's always the one. And uh, for a whole lot of people who only go to synagogue once or twice a year, so they keep hearing this story. So I, I grew up hearing this story every year, and it was always bewildering to me of, what, what like, this is crazy. Why would God, uh, okay, first of all, you know, Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children, and they finally did have this child, and it's miraculous, and okay, so God does this. And then God's telling him to go kill his son? This is just, it's, it's like it's supposed to make you ask questions. And uh, I, I never heard an answer in synagogue that fully made sense to me. It was only later, coming to know Jesus, uh, where uh, I went back and read the scriptures now through new covenant eyes, I guess you could say. And the first thing is, the very first verse of that passage that was never pointed out by the rabbi was, sometime later God tested Abraham, tested. He, he was never intending for Isaac to be killed. It was always a test. Um, either Abraham was going to fail the test or pass the test, but either way, Isaac was going to come through alive. Okay, that's one relief. But then the other is, this is pointing to a much bigger story. And when you see Jesus, the Son, uh, killed by the Father for our atonement, it's like, oh, I've got to go back and read that story now in a whole different way. And, and so now, when Rosh Hashanah comes around every year in the fall, I read that story and it's not bewildering, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's wonderful. It's like, oh, God didn't want us to miss it when he sent his son. And he has all of these pictures that pave the way for it, that point the, the, the spotlight in that direction, so that when we read about Jesus, we go, oh, that's where that was pointing. Oh, look at that and that and that and that. And all of these stories must have their culmination in the most graphic display of a father offering up a son. And Randy, with that, do we see then anything from the book of Romans where it says that he did not spare his own son? It seems like Isaac was spared in this instance, but now we're talking about later in Romans, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Uh, it does seem like the Bible really is working with all these different themes and, and to understand previous stories really helps us understand future teaching. Yes, yes. And, and, and so when, when you read that verse in Romans just by itself, well, it, it's magnificent, it's wonderful. God did not spare his own son. But when you read it with this Genesis 22 account ringing in the back of your head, it's like, oh, here's the son that was offered up but wasn't killed. Here's the son that was offered up who did pay uh, the penalty of death. 
Uh, and, and you just start seeing it all over. I have this one friend who says, we, we've got to read through the Old Testament and keep looking for these places where there's this pattern of, okay, disaster is coming uh, because of sin, a provision is made, uh, and you need to receive the provision. And so, I mean, just, I mean, for in, in Exodus, okay, disaster is coming, God is going to judge sin, uh, he's going to take the lives of firstborn sons, but here's a provision, uh, a lamb. And if you put the blood on the doorpost and you trust in the God's provision, you'll be spared disaster. And you just see it over and over and over and over again. Disaster is coming. God provides a way of escape, but you have to receive it. You have to trust in it. And then there's salvation. And so the more you start feeling these sort of incomplete stories that are pointing in a direction. When the complete story comes, you say, hallelujah. And the theme of, of, of trials and trust, I mean, that there really was a trial that, that God tested Abraham. And so are there things we learn from that in our lives too, that, that sometimes we are put to the test and it isn't necessarily because we just messed up. It's just simply because God is bringing us into something deeper. Well, yes, I certainly think so, although I'm, I'm so slow to learn those lessons, I don't really—I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I, I think I should let you two comment on that. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm not just joking. I, I, I really do—I uh, I find myself needing to learn lessons that I, that I thought I had learned or, oh, I wish I would have learned it— um, so, uh, so, so uh, that can take me in the direction of beating up on myself. Oh, how could you have not have figured this out? How could you? How could you have not believed God? Why weren't you? Why were you doubting? And th- that's not a very good direction to go. Uh, I think it's a better direction of okay, let me really trust in God this time. No, I haven't always trusted Him, but look at look at how He provided mm. there and there and there and there and in in the absolute greatest, but most amazing way. Uh, on the cross. And so if there are times when things don't go my way, well, um, yeah, I would have liked it to have gone differently. But you know what? The much, much, much larger picture has been taken care of for me by the Messiah on the cross in my place. As we wrap up our time, we're getting close to the end of the hour here. And I I go back to when the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, who was Abram's people? Oh, ooh, hmm, hmm. I mean, was he Jewish or Gentile? Or is that a really dumb question? I got sweaty asking that one. <laughs> I did. Well, I'm, Didn't I'm you gonna... tell me that you were going to have Mitch Glazer on soon? Yeah, I'm going to ask, yeah, yeah, ask him. Ask Mitch. <laughs> I'll have um, Mitch handle that one. Um, well, you know, um, very often people do say Abraham was the first uh, Jewish person because um, he, he stepped out and believed God, and God called him to this unique beginning of his people. Right, okay. Um, so uh, his people are going to be the ones who are descendants. Um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure there's much more than just he left uh, Terah, 
and, and his father, and he left the land that he had lived, and he was going out into a land that he knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know if, if there's much more than that, which is, a, which is kind of a bad place for us to end this interview. So, Bill, you got to rescue this. you got to say, <laughs> well, so I think, what Randy meant to yeah, say yeah. was. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll bring it up with Mitch uh, when I talk to him. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, I mean, this is a great time to just say, look, at this is how we study God's Word, and not, we don't, don't always have the answers, and that's cool. Um, yes, and there, and and so we keep reading it, and we keep reading it, and yes. rereading it, and and we find phrases that we've read before, and we see it as like, oh, now I see how this fits in. I hadn't paid attention to that before. I, I want to be very careful that we're not saying that, you know, the Bible changes and it becomes different things for us. I, I don't want to say that, but it's we read it and we reread it. And we ask God for insight, and we start seeing just how rich and full His Word is, and 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 grow yeah. in in likeness of the Lord who revealed it. Yeah, Randy, you're an absolute delight. Thank you so much for doing the show. Great to be with you again. Thanks, you bet. Dr. Randy Newman has been our guest. Peter, thanks. That wraps up our time. That's all for today. Have a great night, and God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.